0: I can ask you to open up the book of First John this morning, please, as we continue through this book. Fingers crossed, we might even get finished today. Famous last words. So, if we open up to First John chapter five, that's where we're going to be this morning. For those of you who have been with us for the last wee while, and I've spoke sporadically over the last couple of times, we'll know that we've been through. Through the book of First John systematically. So we're in chapter 5 at verse 14, and that's where we're picking up today. But just to do a quick recap on where we are we also get the aged Apostle John here giving us all this kind of rich instruction all the things that he's learned in his walk as he walked alongside Jesus seen him with his own eyes heard them with his own ears John's writing this letter to the believers this is a letter to the believing church and John's given us quite a lot of information up until this point he's been saying, you what know, some say that they've got fellowship with God but they've got a walk in the dark so they're not really fellowshipping with God at all Some people are claiming that they've got a relationship with God that they're saved, but they're saying they've got no sin. They've got no sin to confess, so obviously they're making God out to be a liar because God says all men have got sin in them. Some people say they know God, but they're not keeping his commandments, so that's showing there's a lack of relationship there. The truth really isn't in them, and if they don't have the truth, do they have a relationship with God at all? Some people say that they're following Jesus, they're teaching about Jesus, but when you look at what they're teaching... It's a different Jesus from the Bible. It's a different Jesus from the Jesus that John walked with, talked with, heard, and had all that information on a first-hand basis. And stuff. Like some people are saying that abiding in God, abiding with Jesus, but they're continuing on in sin and quite happy about it. So they really don't know God at all. So many people say they believe, but they don't truly know Jesus. They don't truly know God. And we see they don't truly have eternal life either, because they don't have the truth in the first place. A lot of people maybe say they believe in God, but what they say out of their mouth and what they show with their life are two completely different things. There's a dichotomy in their life. You know, one thing's pulling them down in the world's direction, yet they're saying they're with God, so there's something not matching up correctly there. And when that's the case, we can see there's something wrong. That relationship with God maybe isn't there. (laughs) hypocrisy <laughs> it's that word isn't it we don't like nobody likes to be called a hypocrite in our lives and we're trying to follow a walk by God but actually really what we're looking at here the letters about assurance as a believer how we can know that we're in the truth and our life is reflecting that the last time we left in the verses chapter 5 verse 12 to 13 it says he who has the son has life he who does not have the son of God does not have life These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So certainty of your relationship with God, certainty of salvation, eternal life, that is the purpose of John's letter here, so that we can really know that we're in the faith, have that confidence, and without any shadow of doubt, to know that we have got eternal life. So we continue today in verse 14 of chapter 5 and it's a statement and we continue on all these things for the people who know they're standing with God. He's writing this to people who know they're in the faith and they're sticking to the truth. And he's reassuring the readers at the time and reassuring us as well of the importance of prayer in our lives and as we continue on the importance of prayer for other people's lives as well. And it really reflects the relationship that we have with God. So chapter 5 verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So these verses here, for the people that know they've got eternal life, John's relating an idea of your relationship with God and the confidence that you can have in prayer as well. And he's saying here, you know, if we ask anything according to his will, he'll hear us. His ears are switched on. So we see there's a purpose in prayer asking his will. There's a power in prayer as well. We have to ask, we have to ask anything, but at the same time, it's got to be according to the will of God. And if we do that, we're assured we get the confidence that God's switched on and he's hearing the prayers that we are offering up to him. So it's important the kind of first thing that we notice here, when we pray to God he hears us, and that's something we always need to take on board, whatever we're praying up to God, he's not switched off, he's not turned his ears off, he hears us all the time, which is good news Well, have you have had that conversation with somebody and you're standing there, you're talking away and the person's looking at you and you know, the light's on but there's nobody at home, you're yapping away and nothing's registering, you know, you're talking away and they're like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. We see God's not like that. Our words do register with God. I know sometimes I've got that kind of selective hearing as well, especially when it's like, can you put the bin out? Can you wash all the pots? Can you pick up your dirty socks? And I'm kind of <laughs> Don't listen to those things there. But when we pray to God, we see God doesn't have that selective hearing. He listens all the time. I thought this wee story linked in quite well as well. Think about this journalist He's getting moved to offices, he's getting moved to the Jerusalem office of his newspaper. He gets an apparent overlooking the whaling wall. So he sits there quite often, trying to kind of do his stories and things. He looks out his window, and time he's looking out, he sees this old Jewish guy every day, the same time, early in the morning, making his way down to the whaling wall. And he's there all morning, praying, you know, praying, praying, really hard praying. He goes away at lunchtime for some He comes back in the afternoon, praying, praying, till late on at night and goes home. And as the guy sees him doing this every single day, he's saying, no, I wonder if there's a story here that I can use. And one day he goes down and says to the man, I see you here every morning, every afternoon. You're praying, you're praying, you're really dedicating yourself to prayer down at the wall here. Can I ask what it is you're praying for? And the old man says, Well, in the morning I'm praying for the peace for the world. And then in the afternoon, after I've had my lunch, I come back and I pray for all illness across the world to disappear. And the guy goes, oh, that's, that's really good. I see how persistent you are at doing that. Can I ask you some? How long have you been doing that? And the guy thinks a wee farewell. Maybe about 25, 30 years I've been coming here every morning, every afternoon praying. And the journalist asks the guy, so how does it feel to come here and pray for over 20 to 30 years praying like that? The old man kind of stands and he thinks about and he says, "Well, you know what? It feels like I'm talking to a wall." (laughs) And I wonder, in our lives, can we sympathise with him? How often do we feel that God doesn't sense what we're saying to Him? We're praying all these things and we feel that we're praying to a wall. Sometimes we feel we're praying, but it's not registered anywhere. What John is telling us here: if that's the way you feel, you're wrong, because when you pray to God. He hears everything. When you pray to him, he hears everything that you say. You can know that he's listening. He hears us all the time. We don't need to pray louder. We don't need to yourself knock and strange positions to pray or on your knees or on your bed. Or it doesn't matter. Just so long as you're praying to God, he will hear you. It's quite interesting to note if we look in the Gospel to John as well. Jesus quotes is saying he knows that his father hears him. It's John 11, verse 41 to 42. Jesus is standing outside the tomb of Lazarus. As the stone was taken away, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, because, and because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is saying out loud, Father God, I know that you hear me. You hear everything I say. And Jesus said that as a reassurance to all those round about him that God was listening. So Jesus had the ear of his heavenly Father. And is it any different for us? If we're born again, born again into the kingdom, we're sons and we daughters of our heavenly Father as well. We're children of God. And John is telling us that when we pray the Father, his ears are turned on to us as well. He's listening to us but we need to pray according to his will that's the best way for us to pray as well how do you pray according to God's will sometimes look God's will if it's that and we get all confused about it the bible tells you exactly what God's will is if we're praying for things like people to turn away from sin people to turn to God's salvation that's praying according to God's will and we know that those prayers please God because those are the things the bible tells us that we, we should be doing so that's to pray according to God's will why would we want to pray any other way you know, that's the best way for us to pray and if we do that we know that what we're asking of God is put into action as well God's got to start working in those situations there there's other kind of verses in the Bible ask and you will receive so all these things link in together but asking you receive, it's not that wish list that we often make. We sit down, you know, God, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. Get rid of this in my life, get rid of that, give me this, give me that. It's not making a wish list for God. You was know, no Christmas time with our gross catalogue. You know, the kids sit down with our gross catalogue. Every page I'll have one of them and one of them. That's not what we're to do with God. A request and prayer need to be anchored to a relationship with him. If we're abiding with God, walking in the right relationship with him, our will, His will, are closer together. So when we pray, when we make our petitions, we're in line with the will of God. But sometimes we don't pray. Do we? You know, we know we maybe should, but nah, we forget about it. We maybe forget about it because we're maybe feeling a bit kinda, down. We're maybe not as close to God as we should be. Um, we cannot be quite a lot of excuses why we don't pray sometimes, but. We can never be too far from God, too guilty in our own eyes to put our petitions up to him. Because God, if you've got a relationship with him, he is hearing you all the time. Even if we're far away from him, we need to pray to him to get closer, to bring our will and his will together again. And no matter what, no matter how close or how far in your relationship with God you are, God wants you to pray. God wants you to ask of him. And when you ask of him, he will hear and he will act and he will help you out. And we can ask anything. We've got that that passage that we all like, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Burn everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So anything, no matter what, what it is, whatever's in your head, whatever problems you have, Be anxious for nothing. Bring it all to God. He cares about everything. Our whole life, there's nothing too small, nothing too big that he doesn't care about. We have to bring it to him. But the important thing is we need to be open to his leading and open to his answer as well. Sometimes you may get the answer yes. Sometimes you may get the answer no. And sometimes you may get the answer wait. That is when our faith gets tested. That's when we need to abide in relationship with him and lead up to God and be be trusting in God in that situation but ideally we should be asking and praying according to God's will when we, dis- we need to discern as well we do that by reading the word, praying to God when we do all these things as I said our relationship with him gets closer and we become more in line with his will John fifteen seven says if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you now I wonder right now if we asked of God and we prayed to him everything that we desired. I wonder how many things would be according to His as well. But the start of that verse, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. You no, know, your desires should be in line with God's desires. And that's the kind of important thing that we're seeing through this. It's that abiding that makes our will closer in line with God's will. We abide in Jesus when we walk with him each day, when we study the word, when we pray, when we fellowship with each other, when we help fellow brothers and sisters as well. That is when we see that kind of abiding relationship. And that is when we see more answers to prayer as well, because we are where we should be in our walk with God. I think, you know, sometimes I've sat down and i thought, what's the point in praying? What's the point? God's God. He'll do what he wants to do anyway. You know, his will is greater than my will. He'll see it his purposes. He doesn't need me. Why should I bother? Obviously that's a wrong kind of attitude to have, but I have it sometimes. I'm sure maybe you've had that attitude as well. What we see is that God doesn't need our prayers, but God wants our prayers. Second Corinthians 6 one says, We are workers together with him. And that's the whole kind of special thing about a faith in Jesus. That abiding relationship, that personal faith. That God, he doesn't need us. But man alive does he want us. And he wants us to be asking of him. He wants to use us for his kingdom, for his purposes as well. God wants us to be the co-workers alongside him. How How do we do that? How do we do it effectively? Again, we abide in him. Our will, his will comes close together and we can work together as well. We we'll often speak about being the hands and feet of God on the earth. we we'll are workers with him. He wants us to be his hands, his feet and his mouth as well. As I was thinking about that kind of situation there, a song came into my head. And I don't know if anyone knows it. There's an artist called Brandon Heath and he's got a song called Give Me Your Eyes and I'll just kind of read out the, the chorus it says give me your eyes for just one second I'll not sing it if I start to sing it oh, I'll get booed out give me your eyes for just one second give me your eyes so I can see everything that I, everything that I keep missing give me your love for humanity give me your arms for the broken hearted for the ones that are far beyond my reach give me your heart for the ones forgotten give me your ears so I can see give me your eyes so I can see sorry so I think again, when we're not abiding in relationship with God, we need to see everything through His eyes. The broken-hearted people, the people that are down and outs, the people that are broken, the people that are in the outskirts of society. When we do that, are we not being in line with the will of God? If we are praying for those people, those situations, are those not the prayers that will see answered? Because we know it's according to God's will. When we ask anything according to God's will when we see according to God's eyes, love the way he would, be compassionate the way that he would be compassionate, to reach out to people that others don't reach out to, you know, that's us being the hands and the feet of God in this earth. And that's when we see things being birthed. That's when we see God's spirit moving in certain situations. Prayer isn't just sitting down letting the words tumble out and then walking away and forgetting what you've said. That's not the model of prayer that we really should be working on. When we pray about things, it should be heartfelt, and we should persist in it as well. Relationship. I'll say it again, and repeat it, it's all coming down to relationship. John is saying that our Heavenly Father has a real relationship with us when we're born again into his family. This letter's all about believers. Believers and your walk and your relationship with God, and what happens within that. God is listening to us when we pray. He takes our prayers and he uses them to bring about his purposes on this earth. He wants us to pray and sometimes he is waiting for us to pray as well before there's action that takes place. Isaiah 6 48 says, we are the clay and God is our potter. We need to be people that open ourselves up to God and say, I'm a big lump, do what you want shape me, use me, mould me make me into a vessel and do something with me because sometimes we're sitting down we're thinking <clears throat> you feel like it's just big splatty dawn. you really don't know what to do that's when you just need to give it over to God, let him mould you and shape you and do everything he needs to do and then just set your side and say you're ready to be used and keep yourself open for God to call you for a special purpose there's a wee verse that I thought linked quite well into that and it's Second um, 2 Timothy 2.21 which adds this idea of being used and being a vessel for God. It says, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified, useful to the master and prepared for every good work. That's our aim, isn't it? We abide by God, our will and his will comes closer together, we say God use me, mould me, shape me and at the end we want to be that vessel for honour sanctified, useful to the master when we pray we'll be that vessel for him it's a tool, we become a tool that God can use and I'm saying it quite a long way to pray according to God's will and God answers those prayers but sometimes we don't know what God's will is sometimes the Bible doesn't tell us what God's will is either the Bible doesn't answer every question that we have on this earth and in those cases what do we do? it's quite simple you pray the best you can you try and think through the heart and the character and the love of God, how God would want you to act in that situation, and you pray, but then do your prayer and you say and thy will be done you just add that on at the end, God this is what I think we're praying for, but your will be done, not mine we just give it over to God to have that kind of final say at the end and it's quite similar to what Jesus said in John 14, 13-14 and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son If you ask anything in my name I will do it When we ask in the name of Jesus It's not just in Jesus name Amen I.E. that's the end of my prayers. goodbye It's in the name of Jesus According to what Jesus would want According to Jesus heart and character That's what we're really meaning by saying In Jesus name at the end of our prayers If we want to see prayer answered Then the qualifier is It's to be in Jesus' will In the will of God if we think about it, I know in the name of Jesus, Amen. When we're saying that, we're saying, you know, I'm saying this prayer kind of on your behalf. I'm your ambassador. Um, I'm representing what you want. That's what we're really meaning when we say it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of our prayers. It's quite hard sometimes, as I said, you don't know what to pray for. But the important thing is, you pray. You don't just forget about it. You don't say, I don't really know what to say, so I'll no bother. Pray to God. Ask him for of what you think you should in that situation Ben as I said at the end but if I'm praying the wrong thing like your will be done and not mine God's always listening isn't he but as I said you might not always see the answer to prayer that you're looking for it might be the yes it might be the no it might be the wait and it might be a you'll just need to hold your horses now and give me time there's a bigger plan here and you need to trust me that I'm in the background here working out the bigger plan so what does prayer to do, prayer do Do we change God's mind by prayer? Or do things get changed by prayer? Do we get changed by prayer? I think what we need to understand in this circumstance as well, whatever we ask for from God in prayer doesn't mean that he has to give us what we want. We are not changing God's mind. If we see God changing his mind then, that would be quite a dangerous situation. If we could play and change the mind of God, what would happen if we done that? Think of some of the things that you prayed for If God actually went right Okay, you prayed it, so I need to do it What a mess would we be in just now And that's when we see a lot of, kind of Christian circles Going down the wrong, the wrong road The whole name it and claim it I've said it to you God, so you need to give me No, that's really not what it's about And we can see if we can re- reverse back a bit You're not in line with God's will If that's the attitude you have in prayer either We do not have God over a barrel Just because we've prayed something God's will be done not ours through prayer what do we do we don't change the mind of God but what we can do is change the circumstances around all the situations that we're praying for um, if we maybe think of somebody we know somebody in their family a total unrepentant sinner we've spoken to them about God but they don't, they don't listen are we praying to God that they they're going to go to heaven we're praying to God that they're going to go to heaven even though they've not changed their life. That would be changing the mind of God and that's wrong. We see that's against what the Bible says. So what do we pray for? We pray for their lifestyle. That their eyes get opened, their hearts get softened. that They start to receive the truth of God. Those are the things that we're praying for in that circumstance. Martin Luther puts it in this way. He says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. What is God willing to do in our lives and the lives of other people? Those are the things that we focus on. Does prayer change things? We might say yes, but in reality it's God that changes things, isn't it? We lay it all before God, and God changes things. But he might use our, our prayers as a tool to bring about change. And we become changed in prayer as well. When we are praying, we're seeking God, we're seeking his guidance, his enlightenment. Our will, our hearts, our emotions, everything in our lives becomes closer to God if we dedicate ourselves through prayer. So we become changed in prayer. And if we become changed, our will, our emotions, our desires become closer to God. If our desires, if our will is closer to God from our praying, we'll see more answers to prayer. So all these things get linked in together. There was this wee statement which I thought was quite good as well. If I throw out a, a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore, whew, did I pull the shore to myself, and I pull myself to the shore. And I think, when we think about prayer, you know, we're pulling ourselves closer to God in prayer. Aren't we? We're not kind of changing Him. We're taking ourselves and pulling ourselves closer to Him. We become more aligned with God through our dedication to prayer. We become his instrument, become his tool to bring about his will. But our boldness in prayer, our assurance in prayer is tied up to our salvation, the confidence that we have in our eternal life. John wants us to have that confidence. He's saying, you know, if you want to have total confidence in prayer, then you need to be walking right with God, be abiding with him. If you're doing that, then you can have that confidence in your prayer life. And it's kind of how Jesus tells the disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer as well. Matthew 6.10 Your kingdom come, your will be done. Anything that we pray for, that is the kind of attitude that we should have. Thy will be done. So prayer, we need to pray boldly. And we pray boldly when we know we're in the right relationship with God. We seek his will, why? Because do we always know if it's right? No. Sometimes we think we do, but then with hindsight we see we were wrong. Do we always act in love? Not. sometimes we're selfish, so-and-sos, and we want what we want, and forget about other people. God's will is more superior to others. He sees the bigger picture. Sometimes we only see the corner of the jigsaw. We need to always trust God and hand it over to Him. If we think about kind of prayer in the Bible as well, there's many people in the Bible that prayed for things and they've not come to pass, and it's not been anything due to their fault. But God's got that kind of bigger plan in mind. He knew how to answer things more wisely. We got Abraham; he prayed that Ishmael would become the son of promise. God says, "No, I've got a bigger plan in place. You know, something better is going to come, and it's going to be the boy Isaac." God had a bigger plan. Moses prayed to cross the river Jordan with the children of Israel, but God said, "No." Joshua was the one that he wanted. He had a bigger plan in place there. As we pray for things, I wonder what the bigger plan is. We shouldn't become discouraged just because we pray something and we don't see the answer that we want. There's a good real life lesson here from the life of Amy Carmichael, who I'm sure a lot of you have heard. A missionary in the nation of India. And she was quite famous for rescuing the Indian girls and things like that. The kind of slave, kind of prostitution type thing. And Amy Carmichael told this wee story when she was a wee girl, which her mum was in faith and kind of brought her up to know God and to kind of pray for things. And her mum had told her, you know, you can pray, pray to God and God answers prayer. But one of the things Amy wanted was blue eyes. Desperately wanted blue eyes, but she had brown eyes. And she went to bed one night and praying hard in her bed and she woke up. <laughs> running into the mirror thinking, God's answered my prayer because I believe in God and I've said the prayer and this is going to happen. And she got to the mirror and she looked and her eyes were the same colour and she was so devastated. But then it kind of shook her. Well, God's answered my prayer. He said, no. Although she didn't get the answer that she wanted. She had a week in the life lesson there. And well, she went, slightly disappointed, but she can realise that God had answered her prayer. It wasn't until she was an adult, she was in India, she was watching with the, kind of, all these girls, but she was in disguise because she was incognito trying to help these girls out the, kind of the temple prostitution. And she was wrapped up in the sari, she kind of stained her skin with coffee and stuff like that. And a revelation had struck her. She would not have been able to do that if God had answered her prayer as a young girl. Because as I looked at her and seen the striking blue eyes, that nobody from that area would have blue eyes and should have been caught and should have been killed and she wouldn't have been able to help all those thousands of girls that she had helped. No was an answer back then, but no was an answer for a very specific reason. God's seen the big picture, who at the time she only seen the small corner. So, God always knows best how to answer her prayers. His will, his plans, his purposes... He will answer according to them and not ours. But John here is telling us, pray, pray about anything, but pray according to my will. If you don't know it's according to my will, put and my will be done at the end and trust God to answer in the right way. When we pray, pray out of a relationship with him, abide with him, have your will and his will come closer together. But prayer is not only about you, it's about the bigger plan as well. God wants you to pray about anything. You're, if you're anxious about anything, bring your prayers and your requests to him. But don't remember other people as well. Because prayer can draw other people closer to God. As we go on to verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So basically through that quite kind of wordy statement there, John is telling us that prayers for other people can lead them to life. I wonder how many of us are standing in church today, say because somebody's prayed for us in the past. We may not know who or when or where, but a lot of us will be attesting to that fact here. And John is saying if you see somebody in sin, the first thing that you should do is, Pray for them. You shouldn't go up to them and do the num, 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 num. pray for the person. And if you need to speak to them, make sure that you're in prayer first of all and God has aligned your heart with His heart before you speak to the person, or else you could actually push them further away in the wrong path they going on. John tells us that we should be alert to other people round about us in their spiritual state and the walk that they're having and we should be quick to pay if we see something not quite right. I wonder if we've ever looked at somebody and seen them go in the wrong direction and thought, aye, okay, bye, (laughs) and just stepped away and done absolutely nothing about it, and not even thought twice about it. That's wrong. Even worse is we look at somebody they've done something wrong and go, haha, (laughs) glad it's not me, that makes me look a wee bit better, look at them. I'm sure we're all sitting there going, no, that would never be me. But in our own hearts we know if that's the truth. But all brothers and sisters, aren't we? And we should all, as part of the family of God, be helping one another. We shouldn't take any kind of secret delight in somebody else's walk going wrong and thinking, that makes me look a wee bit better. The sooner we pray for somebody in the process of going down the wrong path, the better. Because sometimes they get so far down, they get so confused and so far from the truth. There's a heck of a big hike back to where they should be. But we see if we are praying for other people, helping our brothers and sisters, we benefit as well. Because we are the body of Christ. Some people the head, the hands, the feet, the toes. We're all linked together. And if one part of us is going down the wrong way, we're all affected in some shape or form as well. We think about the Bible, the nation Israel. The whole nation suffered because of the sins of some people within that nation we need to as a collective group keep ourselves right be accountable to each other and make sure that God's blessing is upon us all as well the key thing that John's saying is don't be indifferent to somebody who's in sin step out in love and look to that in the last study the importance of love in helping brothers and sisters so if we see someone in sin pray about it see somebody in a difficult situation pray about it Whatever we see that we can pray about, do it. It's basically what John's telling us here. The verses are pointing us out to something which is quite a slightly controversial, controversial verse. And it says there's a sin leading to death. But remember that John's writing this letter in the context of a letter to the believing church. A letter to believers. So a sin leading to death I don't think means eternal spiritual death. I think it means a physical death. John's saying that we should make intercession for somebody who's in sin. We should pray that God would have mercy on them, that their hearts will be opened will turn away from their sin. But what is this sin leading to death then? Unrighteousness is sin. Sin leads to death. And I think in this situation here, it's really God saying somebody's went so far down the road without turning their life back around to God, without walking in a good walk again, that God's seen it best just to take them out of this situation. Their reputation, their testimony has been so tarnished. The person's getting so personally damaged that God's saying, "In my mercy, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to bring you back home with me." You get so far down the line, you're so hurt, you're so damaged. It's the best thing that I can do for you. And God gives them a swift physical death in His mercy. So the death comes not as a condemning judgment against them, but as a corrective judgment. God said, "I can't let you continue on in this sin." You've been given chances, and now get to end it. But we see it's not a, you're no longer in the kingdom of God, you're losing your salvation. You're still going to be with God, but you're not allowed to be that bad witness in the here and now. So it's possible that what John is saying here is that it's better for God to end somebody's life on this earth rather than let them continue on in the path of sin that they're on. I think that's quite a stark message to give out. But obviously, if we think about sin leading to death, we all commit sin. But I wonder what that sin leading to death would be in our lives. What we could do that God says, right, enough's enough. I'm going to have to take you. And I don't know, I can't answer that. I don't really know if I want to know the answer either. But it just helps us to think, you know, we need to be in the light as he is in the light and to keep away from that walk of darkness. Abide in God, let his words abide in you. Align yourself with God and stick with him to avoid this situation here. There's maybe a few accounts that we can look at in the Bible that maybe back up that position. We've got Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, and it's the account of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold the land and they brought the money back, but they kept some for themselves. But what we see is it's not the fact that they kept the money for themselves and lied to the other people. The scriptures say that you lied to God. Well, it wasn't the fact that they lied to the fellow believers, they lied to God. And God in that situation thought, no, nah, can't do that? you've stepped over the mark, and he struck them down. In First Corinthians 11, verse 29 to 30, we've got the believers in Corinth. Some of them died, it looks, because of the way they acted at the Lord's Supper. Verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment in their self. That is why so many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep meaning died. We've also got a wee verse here that maybe links in as well in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. It's Paul's instructing the Corinthians to take a certain person out of fellowship from the church. Because he was in this kind of horrible, incestuous relationship with his mother-in-law. And he refused to repent and the church refused to do anything about it. And Paul said, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Destruction of his flesh to save his spirit. And I wonder if that maybe links into the verse we have here in 1 John 5. Perhaps, but there's other accounts that maybe give a different uh, opinion on that. But I think that's the one that kind of fits the best with the kind of background of the letter here. So a corrective judgment, not a, a kind of harsh judgment on the person. A corrective judgment because of the sin that they're in. Makes you think maybe some people become so hardened that they're not going to turn away from sin. A believer might get herself in such a pickle down the wrong path that they become blinded to where the truth actually is anymore. And we see that if continued in long enough, it can be a threat to physical life here. So what is John saying? Don't pray for these people. Stuff them. They're cut off. Let them get on with it. I don't really think that's the general gist of what's been said here. He's not saying that we don't pray for the people. He's just saying that in this occasion, they're maybe so far down the line that they might not be restored. God might have a bigger picture for them and it might be that kind of plucking them away from us there to be with him. So what do we do? If there's no doubt, pray. Pray anyway. Pray for everyone we should. But if we don't see that person being restored... We shouldn't feel guilty about it either as long as we have prayed to God and asked him to intervene in this situation. So we've got the Apostle John here, getting quite old, elderly man. He's recounting over all these messages that he's learned through his life. And as we get to verse 18, he's kind of just bringing all these points to a conclusion here. Reminding them of things that they should already know, things he's went over before with them. It says in verse 18 We know that whoever is born of God does not sin But he who has been born of God keeps himself And the wicked one does not touch him We know that we are of God And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one So If we're born of God we don't sin We do sometimes fall We do sometimes sin We looked at that previously What John is not saying He's not saying that we can live this sinless Perfect, perfect perfect life in the here and now. He's just saying your general course of your life should be one that's not marked by sin. You might fall occasionally, but in your walk, in your daily walk with God, you're trying to walk that narrow path. You might sometimes stumble and fall, but you're on the narrow path not the wide road. You're doing your best to abide in God, despite the making hiccups you might have. But he's saying the wicked one does not touch him we're still in that battle against sin the wicked one is still out there we need to keep our mind focused on God and keep ourselves aware of the traps of the enemy as well but we've got the resources to be free from that habitual sin, that sin we always go back to God has given us the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us stay away from that the wicked one does not touch him have you ever felt that the wicked one's touched you attacked you pulled, pulled you down and we think, well, how does that really tie in there? The wicked one does not touch and What it really means if you look into the kind of, original words, the wicked one can't get his grips into you and pull you down. The wicked one might sometimes kind of, touch you and kind of, you feel his presence and his interaction in your life, but he can never grab hold of you, get his talons in, and keep a hold of you, because who's got you in the palm of his hand? Jesus. The wicked one, he might be able to occasionally... Interfere, they can never get a grip of you and he can never pull you out of the hand of God either. He can never fully get you into his grip. We're kept by Jesus and we're protected from Satan. We've got an active enemy but we've got a very faithful guardian in our lives as well. What do we need to be like in the here and now? We need to be like the innocent child, don't we? Innocent child wants to cross the road, takes a hold of daddy's hand. Daddy's hand and they cross the road the road's dangerous the road's busy there's hazards there's things that could kill us on that road who is most in charge in that situation who's keeping who safe the little girl took a hold of the dad's hand but who's keeping her safe when they cross the road It's the hold of the dad the dad's grip on the wee girl that's keeping her safe in the here and now we reach out to God we take his hand we're not keeping ourselves safe God is keeping us safe. It's his grip that gets us through this life. His grip that keeps us away from Satan and away from his, his destruction as well. John ten twenty nine says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So we need to keep that in mind there. Psalm 119, verse 117, Hold me up and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. We're in God's hand and he holds us up. But we need to observe his statutes continually. Keep looking to him, keep in the word and keep in a good relationship with him. John doesn't need to give his readers any new information here. He's just given that kind of summary of everything he said up until this point to remind them of what they already know. Verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given an understanding that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. John's reminding these readers to know the Son of God. The Son of God came, why? To give understanding and knowledge of the true God. The Father did it through the Son, Jesus. And John's repeating the word true here three times in the verse. True, true, true. Truth is important. That's one of the key things that John's been saying from the start. Be in the truth and know what the truth is. John's wanting to assure us that the God in whom we put our faith in is the true God because only the true God saves. Only the true God gives eternal life and the true God is the Son, Jesus. If you're born a God, you're born secure. Verse 21 goes on and tells us to keep ourselves from from idols. (coughs) Excuse me. Now I wonder where that comes okay, comes in as a final thought. Keep yourself from idols, amen. Off he goes. It doesn't seem to link in very well at all. But when we think about it, it's not out of context. John's entire message has been stick with God, stick with the truth, stick with your fellow believers. If we fall into idolatry then we fall away from God. So he's just summing up by saying stick with God, stick to what's true and you'll keep yourself away from the wrong things. The people in John's time was that kind of Gnostic thing starting to come in that they're teaching a bit of Jesus who was a, kind of a wee ghost and all these kind of different, different theologies that were completely and utterly wrong. People were making up their own God, their own theology, their own Jesus. If we relate that to today, if we look at all our churches across the UK and then abroad, what Jesus do we see being taught across the land here? There's many, many different ones. They're idols, they're not the true Jesus, and we need to bear that in mind. Many people are very sincere in what they believe, but they can be sincerely wrong as well. We need to make sure we're sincerely right, and we're standing on the truth. Spurgeon puts it this way, If you sincerely drink poison, it will kill you. If you sincerely believe a lie, you will suffer the consequences. You must not only be sincere, but you must also be right. Today, just now, are you right in your faith? Do you believe the right things? And are you walking right with the faith that you have? The enemy to our relationship with God is idolatry. Putting our thoughts, our emotions, our focus on something else other than God. It doesn't need to be a wee statue. It can be your sport, it can be your job, it can be your family. It can be church activities, doing, just busy doing things but not focusing on relationship with God. Whatever it is, the Apostle John is saying, be wary of it and keep yourself far away from it. Abide in God, let His Word abide in you, and stick with Him. Doing that will protect our relationship with God. Lies lead to ignorance, ignorance leads to idolatry, and idolatry will lead to immorality as well. That is a slippery slope that we can go down. So, what is John saying? He's saying, be sure that the Jesus you follow and worship is the Jesus Christ of the Bible the real historical one right at chapter 1 at the first verses John heard from him, saw him touched him, felt him that is the Jesus we're talking about that's the one that we need to follow the son of God is truth and the son of God is eternal life so we've been told to love God love people, love the truth and pray for other people in our circumstances as well put our desires to the side and focus on God's desires and let his assurance and confidence fill you. Know that you're born again. Know that you've got eternal life. And know that your prayers are being heard when you pray according to his will. Avoid things and avoid people that will really pull you down in the wrong direction. And just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 38. John tells us what the most important thing is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So that is really who we are leaving it today. Know the truth, say the truth, abide in God and stick with him. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And if you don't have a relationship with God, John is telling you, you're in darkness. You need to get that sorted. Satan's grip is in you. You might not realise it, but you're getting pulled down in the wrong direction. You can sort it out by coming to him, receiving forgiveness, salvation, assurance and faith. Those are gifts that God will give you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open your word this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can get so much instruction from your holy word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can just see your character shining through in this epistle of John. John Pensey's words Lord as I can a seasoned sage Lord somebody who walked and talked and discussed things with you Father we can get so much teaching from it Father help us Lord God to stick with you help us Lord to to focus on a relationship with you to abide in you Father to abide in you and to align our will with your will to pray for things according to your will to see people according to your eyes and your heart Father Help us, Lord, to be the people that focus on you and what you want, Lord, and just to set our own desires to the side. Lord, when we pray, help us to have that confidence, Lord, that you are hearing, that you are going to give, give an answer to our prayers, Father. When that answer is not the one that we want, Lord, help us to trust in you, Lord, that you see the bigger picture and we only see part of it, Father. Lord, protect us. Your word says that you know, the wicked one can't get his grips into us, Lord. Just protect us and let that truth just penetrate into the, the very core of our being, Father. Lord, just be that guardian over us, Lord. Set your angels' watch round about us, Lord. But help us, Lord, to be your witnesses. Help us to be your tools, your hands and your feet and your, your mouthpiece in this earth, Father. Lord, I ask you just to bless your word, Lord. Just to plant it deep within us, Lord, and just bring it to the forefront whenever we need that re-encouragement, Father. Help us, Lord, just to be the vessels that you can use. We lay this before your feet and ask, it, ask you to bless your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.